Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Brad Trom. He is a strategic advisor to health systems and retail pharmacy leadership. Uh, Brad has his uh, pharmacy degree and MBA. And until late 2018, Brad was vice president of Vanderbilt Health uh, RX Solutions and served as the executive director for retail and specialty pharmacy at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, which in this role, he provided overall leadership for the Department of Pharmacy Outpatient Pharmacy Services. The Vanderbilt Specialty Pharmacy Model is a nationally recognized health system leader providing comprehensive care and management of patients requiring specialty medications. Uh, Previously, Brad was the CEO of Loveless Retail and Specialty Pharmacy, a division of Ardent Health Services in Nashville, and was named CEO of the Year at Ardent Health for innovating pharmacist-enhanced programs in medication reconciliation, pharmacist home visits, and MTM programs resulting in better patient outcomes. Brad's career as a healthcare operations executive in the retail pharmacy industry included leadership and management responsibilities for a multi-state multi-billion dollar pharmacy organization with Albertsons, Savon Pharmacy, and Osco Drug. Brad currently serves as vice chair of charitypharmacy.org and is also a member of the Dispensary of Hope's Pharmacy Advisory Committee. Uh, The past community involvement includes serving as a board member for New Mexico Poison Control and Drug Information. He is also a past member of the School of Pharmacy Advisory Boards at USC, North Dakota State University, University of New Mexico, Western University of Health Sciences, and University of California, San Francisco. Brad received his Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy from North Dakota State University and his MBA from Lake Forest Graduate School of Management. He's currently registered as a pharmacist in the state of Tennessee. Brad, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, hello, Hillary. I'm honored to be a guest on your podcast today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, thanks for joining us. And, um, you know, uh, we're really excited to talk a little bit more about specialty drugs today and specialty pharmacies. So maybe first you could tell us a little bit more about what is the definition of a specialty drug? Well, specialty drugs actually is somewhat of a nebulous classification. However, it's, it's very clear that specialty drugs are used to treat the, the very serious and often life-threatening illnesses. So specialty drugs are often classified as high-cost, high-complexity, and high-touch drugs that typically require a lot of special handling. The specialty medications, they, they treat these complex and rare chronic diseases such as cancer, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, hep C, HIV, and a lot of other the, the rare diseases. What's interesting and, and has been a wide discussion is that specialty drugs are actually fairly new in the, in the drug marketplace. Uh, in 1990, uh, there were only 10 drugs that were called specialty drugs. But now there are hundreds of specialty drugs, and there's hundreds more that are that are in development, under development. In fact, there are uh, I think there's over 500 um, 
chemical compounds right now that are uh, looking to uh, treat uh, new cancers. So uh, specialty drugs are typically not the kind of medications that you find in your neighborhood pharmacy uh, due to the complexity that, uh, of handling that's, that's required. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, there's been a large growth in this area. Um, it's taken over a big share of the prescription spend, even though only about 2% or so of the population needs these. Um, also, I guess if you're thinking about a specialty drug, you're also looking at what are the large molecules versus the traditional oral pills for chronic diseases that are that are more of the small molecule. Um Brad, could you tell us a little bit more about um, the importance of specialty drugs and, um, you know, maybe why, why we need specialty drugs? Well, for the, for the patients that actually receive the specialty drugs, their specialty drug is extremely important to them because it, it allows them to live a, a, a much improved quality of life. Uh, these medications can be life-changing. Some cases are, cases are they're actually a cure for a serious disease. And uh, those patients with debilitating disease can now live normal lives. Um, for the audience or for people as they're trying to determine what specialty drugs are, often the drugs that are advertised on television, those are specialty medications. Um, but what these specialty medications can do, as an example, uh, HIV, uh, which was once a, uh, uh, basically a fatal disease, is now treated more of a, as a chronic disease. And hep C, which had not been able to be cured in the past, can now be cured through some of these new specialty drugs and eliminated. So, uh, in fact, some of the overall increase in life expectancy in the past few decades is, is really due in part to drug innovation. So that's the good news. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we've got a lot of innovation happening, um, which innovation and research development is expensive. These are very complex new products, many, many years and, and just new innovations that require to bring these to market. Um, so they're expensive. Let's talk a little bit more about that and, um, and how specialty pharmacists are so savvy at getting these covered or, or trying to get these covered for patients. Well, the challenge, as you say, is is the expense. So that's the the good news is these medications exist. The bad news is, if you will, uh, these specialty medications can be extremely expensive for both the payer which would be the insurance company or through the PBM, the employer, or can be the government that's paying for these. And what's critical here is also the cost of the medication be, can be significant for the patient, which can be a, a major financial burden. To give you an idea, the total annual cost of a typical specialty drug is approaching $79,000 a year. And if you compare that to the U.S. household income of 61000 or the average income for a Medicare patient at 26000 affordability is a huge issue. And after all, what good is a diagnosis and a prescribed treatment if a patient can't afford to treat it? And uh, there's a lot of press lately uh, about the fact that one out of four Americans say they have difficulty affording the medications they take. And the number one reason that families declare, declare bankruptcy in the U.S. is due to health care expenses, of which medication is a part of that. Um, so the goal here is to improve the patient's health while maintaining fiscal viability. 
But your, your question was, well, why does specialty medications cost so much? Well, there's multiple reasons for this, but the quick answer is that it costs a lot to bring a new drug to market in, in research and development. A study by a major academic institution shows that a new drug can cost anywhere from 2.6 to even $3 billion and take 7 to 10 years to bring the drug to market. Mm-hmm. So it it just takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of failures to uh, to be able to get these drugs on a, on the market. Um if you don't mind, I can even relate a, a specific instance here of someone I know. I have a personal friend who was recently a, a patient in a clinical trial for cancer, and the total treatment cost over a million dollars. Now, that includes the drug cost, which was in, I, I'm, I'm assuming, in about a $400,000 range, and plus the hospitalization, intensive care, provider expenses. All of that was uh, absorbed by the uh, pharmaceutical manufacturer. So it's expensive to bring the drug to the market. Uh, but this particular clinical trial so far has saved this person's life as she's now in remission. And of course, we hope for a long-term remission. Um, but it's expensive. Um, and I think, as you mentioned, the, the overall cost of specialty drugs in the total pharmacy spend is about 2% of the, the total spend. Um, I, I checked this out. The uh, In 2018, the the total expense for prescriptions was $335 billion, um, and half of that goes to, to specialty medications. So uh, there's a significant portion of the drug costs, uh, and yet a, a small portion of the total health care expenditures. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Yeah, I think that probably we all know someone or, or have, have helped a patient that um, was on an expensive medicine. And um, it's it's great to see that uh, there are um, new uh, clinical trials always available and uh, that there there are ways to be able to, to get um, some of those things covered. Um, so let's jump into a little bit more about how are specialty drugs paid for? Uh, it is, you know, of course, we know the healthcare system and how and how all of those costs um, break down is complex. We're we're working on figuring all of that out right now, moving towards a little bit more transparency, but just. Focusing in on specialty drugs, how are those typically paid for? Well, typically they're paid through the insurance as a, as a pharmacy benefit through the PBMs. Um, the insurance is paid for, of course, by the employer. The employee in a commercial plan is, is paying something for their health care benefits to their employer. Or the government's a payer. Uh, and now there's also a lot of out-of-pocket costs paid by the patient. Now, the good news is for some of those folks that can't afford it because they don't have insurance or they're underinsured or have lower income, there are other assistance programs, patient assistance programs, that are either available through the pharmaceutical manufacturer or charitable foundations. Uh, in fact, uh, an important, 
an important source of funds to support patient manufacturers and, and prescription costs is the Patient Access Network. It's called the PAN Foundation, which is dedicated to help federally and commercially insured people living in life-threatening diseases. It, and it helps them with their out-of-pocket out costs for their prescribed medications. So these foundations, at any rate, or the pharmaceutical company, help underinsured people get the medications and, and treatments they need by assisting with these out-of-pocket costs, and, and uh, they actually advocate for improved access and affordability. Um, and so if I can just mention here, patients should probably check the, uh, the website, the uh, PAN Foundation, and uh, look under FundFinder to determine if help is available for a prescription that they, uh, a specialty prescription that they might be uh, getting currently. Yeah. Um, well, let's keep down uh, talking about out-of-pocket expenses. Um, affordability is certainly um, a, a concern. Um, can you share a little bit more about that and maybe what some uh, specialty pharmacies and, and the health systems, uh, charitable clinics, uh, just the healthcare system in general are doing to um, help navigate that for patients? Sure. Well, you know, affordability is, is huge. So uh, patients, of course, have to foot those, those out-of-pocket expenses. And uh, due to the rising exposure uh, that, that the patients or, or the employees or the um, folks may have in their deductibles through benefit design changes from their, employee, uh, from their employer or there's rising list prices, uh, at any rate, more patients are exposed to higher drug costs uh, with these higher deductible and higher costs, uh, copay insurance costs. Um, there are nonprofit entities such as hospitals, health systems, or as you mentioned, the free and charitable health clinics that, that absorb some of these costs. Now, it's important to note that nothing is free, and it's, it, these nonprofit entities can be uh, actually eligible for a 340B drug pricing program discount. That's where uh, manufacturers will give a discount, a significant discount to to uh, eligible institutions to be able to dispense drugs at a much lower cost or, or free. Um, it's also important to note that the 340B program, as it's called, uh, doesn't really cost the taxpayers anything. It's, it's actually a discount given by the manufacturer. And all the man, although the manufacturers may not be totally happy with the program, they actually spend significantly less uh, on giving 340B discounts than they, than they do on their, their marketing and advertising. So it's, uh, it's an important benefit to, uh, to everyone to have these, these uh, 340B discount programs for our nonprofit organizations. Yeah, and so speaking of, of health systems, uh, one of the trends that we've been seeing is that more and more hospitals are interested in having their own um, specialty pharmacies so that they can be able to um, take care of their own patients. And uh, there is uh, certainly uh, some opportunities to uh, generate some revenue from those types of uh, programs. Can you share a little bit more about like what that landscape looks like and, um, you know, maybe um, what does it take to actually put together a specialty pharmacy? <laughs> well, interestingly, uh, over the last few years, a number of the uh, hospitals, health systems, uh, and others are, are opening specialty pharmacies, but they need to know what they're 
they're doing, frankly. And so uh, a way to do that, or anyone that, that is thinking about opening a specialty pharmacy, whether it be an independent uh, pharmacy who wants to expand uh, his or her business, or a, uh, or a hospital who, who wants to uh, look at being able to dispense specialty prescriptions. Um, my first suggestion is to attend a, a specialty pharmacy conference. There's a few of those during the year. I, I specifically recommend the uh, National Association of Specialty Pharmacies conference that's uh, typically in the fall. Or there's another one called the Assembia Specialty Conference that's held each spring. And, and these are pharmacy conferences sp focusing specifically on on specialty drugs, and and those are the conferences that people go to to uh, to learn about the special medications. Then the second thing is the uh, the entity, whether it be the 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 independent drugstore or health system, they need to really understand the business. Um, the specialty pharmacy business is continuing to grow, and it's it's growing substantially. Um, and, and Hillary, this is this is where the uh, drug companies are really focusing their investment on on specialty drugs, and so there are hundreds of specialty drugs in the pipeline. It's only going to continue to grow. Uh, but to actually open a pharmacy, you need to know what's what, what's required to handle a, a specialty drug, and, and what kind of expertise is required to take care of that specialty patient. So. In addition to filling the prescription like any other prescription, uh, specialty medication pharmacies require one, uh, a, a contract, to be able to obtain those specialty drugs. And a lot of times uh, they're called limited distribution drugs, uh, meaning that not everyone can get them unless you, unless you have a contract uh, specifically with the, with the pharmaceutical manufacturer. Secondly, you have to have a contract with the payer to make sure that the payer of the patients that come to see you are going to give you a contract uh, or give that pharmacy a, a contract to be able to ensure that the, the pharmacy can actually take care of the patient. And then some of the additional things beyond being a regular pharmacy, you have to have a, a patient call center or a place, a, a pharmacist, a technician where a, a patient can call in and be contacted and have a conversation with the, with the specialty pharmacy on a monthly basis. Uh, the pharmacy needs to know how to have and obtain prior authorizations. Uh, many of the PBMs, many of these drugs need a, a special authorization. The doctor can't just write the prescription and you fill it. Uh, you have to get uh, prior approval. To, uh, to fill these, these prescriptions from the, from the PBM. Uh, the pharmacy would need to have cold chain mailing capabilities, being able to ship these drugs to the patient uh, and not require them to necessarily come into the pharmacy. Uh, there needs to be patient adherence monitoring, which is, which is very important to make sure that the patient is staying on these critically uh, needed medications and, and doing it correctly. And lastly, the, the pharmacy needs to be accredited, uh, typically to be able to um, get a contract with a payer, the, the pharmacy would need to be accredited. And, and uh, oftentimes the, the payer contracts call for two accreditations. And then there's other things that, uh, that especially pharmacy can or should have as they grow. They, they may need to have a sales staff uh, going out and talking to the providers that write those specialty prescriptions. Now, this could be the current owner or someone, with, someone within the, the current pharmacy staff. Um, there needs to be a data collection vehicle. These drugs are very important to the patient, but they're also important to the pharmaceutical manufacturers. Some of these drugs require the, the REMS um, information that, uh, that goes back to the manufacturer. 
And ideally, the pharmacist would would need to be board certified for practice in the in the specialty uh, disease. So, but at any rate, those are the ingredients needed to develop a, a specialty pharmacy in in a current operation. Um, the good news, Hillary, is that anyone, any pharmacy can really do this. They can start out in the back of their pharmacy and start small and, and, and grow it. Um, they need to understand the physicians in the area, what kind of scripts are being written, what kind of businesses are going to be, um, and, and how, they would, how they would fill these. So. I like that. The recipe for specialty pharmacy. You just shared all the ingredients. (laughs) ingredients. Um, Well, there's certainly, uh, I I love the explanation about um, the, the, the pharmacist clinical expertise and, and, you know, possibly some board certification or just definitely making sure that you know that it, there's definitely a difference between the importance of keeping that patient on a drug, being a little bit more proactive, managing side effects, managing how administration, because administration might be a little bit more complex. And then on the other hand, just that business savvy uh, to be able to negotiate the contracts with payers and uh, manufacturers um, uh, to really be able to even be a, a player in the space. Um, so thanks for uh, shedding some light on that. And then, of course, uh, accreditation. Um, so uh, it can be very complex, but um, is a good way to niche down and um, get into a growing area. Uh, lots more in the pipeline for specialty pharmacy. Um, so we've talked a lot about specialty pharmacy um, and some of the differences between what a specialty pharmacy does and a traditional pharmacy might do. But um, you might want to kind of draw some from your retail background and talk a little bit more about traditional medications. Well, traditional medications are the, the medications that people are familiar with, the prescriptions that they get in, a, in, in their local pharmacy or drugstore. Um, it's interesting to note that of the medications dispensed in a, in, a, uh, in a regular retail pharmacy, about 90% of those medications are actually generic drugs. And of those generic drugs, uh, about 80% of those actually have less than a $20 out-of-pocket cost for a, for a 30-day supply. So these are the common high blood pressure, cholesterol type of medications that people need to uh, need to stay on forever. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of the patients typically aren't adherent to their prescribed medication. And in fact, up to 30% of the scripts written aren't filled. And then uh, it's estimated that up to 50% of the patients don't take their medications as they are prescribed after about six months. And that's unfortunate because even though these medications are typically not that expensive. Um, we find that people that don't take their medications, then their blood pressure goes up, their cholesterol goes up, and, and they end up in the emergency room or going back to the doctor. And it's uh, estimated that there's about $350 billion in uh, health care costs that could be eliminated if, uh, if all the patients that were written a prescription were, were staying and adhering to their uh, prescription regimen. So, um, in, in fact, there, uh, one of our former Surgeon Generals, U.S. Surgeon General, C. Everett Koop, had the very famous quote of, uh, of saying that drugs don't work in patients that don't take them. So it's, uh, it's important that people take their medication. I also want to comment, uh, Hillary, here. Um, 
and note that there are charity pharmacies that can dispense a lot of these generic drugs for free or at a discounted price for these traditional drugs. Uh, now, this is not the specialty drugs or the high-priced brand-name drugs, but for the generics, uh, and these can be dispensed to some of the lower-income qualifying individuals so that we can, we can take care of everybody in the, uh, in, in the population. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I honestly didn't even know what a charitable pharmacy was until I started working at Dispensary of Hope. And um, uh, it doesn't have to be a, a standalone charitable pharmacy that are associated with St. Vincent de Paul. Um, we even have a hospital outpatient pharmacies uh, that are considered charitable pharmacies. So they have a component, whether it's, you know, they've got their regular retail and they're serving their employees, but they've also got um, a component, especially with, with nonprofit systems where their um, access to care is part of their um their uh, CHNA or community health needs assessment. And so access to medication is definitely a core piece of that. Um, and I love the quote that you brought up uh, that drugs don't work and patients that don't take them because that's absolutely true. And as the medication experts, pharmacists are a key solution to helping be able to make sure that patients have not only access to medicine uh, through some of the ways that we've talked about, but are also adherent. Um, so Brad, we've talked a lot about specialty pharmacy and navigating that um, environment and you know what it is, um, what a specialty pharmacy is, um, a little bit about how um, the behind the scenes, because a lot of people don't really understand about how medications are actually covered or um, who pays for that. But um, if I'll ask all of our listeners, or sorry, I ask all of our guests uh, the same final question. Uh, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Wow. Well, that can be a, a tough question to, uh, to answer. But as I look back, I know when I graduated from pharmacy school, I intended on being a pharmacist. Um, and there weren't quite as many avenues to, to go into, perhaps, at the, at the time I graduated. But if I were to uh, advise myself at, at, a, at a younger age, it would be to be aware of all the different avenues for a career uh, that a pharmacist can take. Um, as I mentioned earlier, specialty drugs, they didn't exist prior to 1990. And now there are board certified specialty pharmacists. So, so any pharmacist out there, um, and I guess it could be true for anybody in a career to, to just always be aware of, of other opportunities or other locations or even organizations where, where one can expand upon their own career and uh, um, find something new and exciting and uh, a way to proceed for themselves in the future. So at least that would be my thoughts. Wonderful. I think that's great advice and um, something that we strive to do with bringing all of these great experts um, and leaders in the, the pharmacy profession uh, as guests on the show. So Brad, thank you so much for being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, thank you, Hillary. Appreciate it being here. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.